if uh, you came in, if you, if you came in after our um, announcement time, just a, a, a few things. A um, couple, well, one major thing that I want to uh, announce for the missions team, missions team and all those who are part of our um, June 10th presentation, we're going to be meeting at 1 o'clock, okay, at 1 o'clock um, in the main sanctuary. So please do be there for that. Whether you're in the presentation or not, missions team members, um, we will be meeting at 1 o'clock and then we'll be eating together afterwards. So please make sure that you are aware of, of that change of schedule. Um, Next week, we have uh, just a wonderful, wonderful guest speaker, Dr. Mark Furtado from Reformed Theological Seminary, um, uh, just a wonderful preacher and expositor of the book of Psalms, is going to be sharing uh, the Word of God with us as well, so um, pray for that. Um, adults who typically come to Bible study uh, for the summer, we're going to be on break. Okay? We're going to be on a summer hiatus until August, um, so please, please make sure that you are um, aware of, of that change as well. Um, I want to actually begin by, by reading uh, some uh, words of advice. This is something, I, I got this email, and maybe you've seen things like this before, but someone at the end of, of their life wrote down a bunch of things that they learned as they walked through uh, life, and, and here's some interesting things. Um, I've learned that sometimes when I'm angry, I have the right to be angry, but that doesn't give me the right to be cruel. Uh, I've learned that making a living is not the same thing as making a life. I've learned that regardless of your relationship with your parents, you'll miss them when they're gone from your life. I've learned that even when I have pains, I don't have to be one. That's pretty good. I've learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way he or she handles three things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. I've learned that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it goes. I've learned that we should be glad God doesn't give us everything we ask for. I've learned that under someone's hard shell is someone who wants to be appreciated and loved. I've learned that the Lord didn't do it all in one day, so what makes me think I can? I've learned that a smile is an inexpensive way to improve your looks. I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. Very interesting. I, I could send that email to you if you want it. But a lot of times we get to the end of certain legs in the journey. We look back. Um, it's wise for us to look back. Didn't Aristotle say that or Socrates? One of them said um, an unexamined life is not worth living. And so we, we, at the end of a journey, some of y'all graduating uh, high school or some of y'all have graduated college or some of you guys are uh, just entering a new phase of, of married life together. And as you think back, it's sometimes wise, always wise, to stop and to reflect and think about the lessons we've learned as we've been walking through the journey. For the past uh, five weeks, six weeks now, we've been looking at the journey of, of Mary Magdalene. We actually started on Easter Sunday, jumped over a week, and then began um, in this series looking at uh, Mary Magdalene, the life of this disciple of Christ, and what does, she, what, does she, what does her life tell us about the stages that we would go through in the life of of a disciple and of a follower of Christ. And as we come to the end of the journey, I want to kind of look back as we look at uh, one of the last moments of her life as we see it recorded in Scripture, look back at her life and come up with some final lessons, right? Lessons, themes that maybe we've, we've hit upon in, in some way during the last five weeks, but also things that we see in this uh, pivotal moment of her life. So we're going to look at John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 10 through 18. And you, you remember this if you were here on Easter, if you've heard the Easter story before. 
But all of the gospel writers agree that Mary Magdalene was the first person to whom Jesus Christ showed up as the risen Lord Jesus, the risen Savior. So Mary has gone through all of these things and, and, and she runs to the tomb in the hopes that she could prepare Jesus' body for burial with spices, with, with herbs, and all of these different things. And, and she gets there and she realizes that the stone guarding the tomb has been rolled away. And so her initial reaction and the only explanation she has is that someone, some grave robber has taken Jesus' body out of the tomb and has kidnapped him and is gone. And so she's distraught because the only thing she wants to do is just see him for one last time to ensure that he gets a proper burial and then, um, and then to, to go on with her life. And so here comes, she goes and gets Peter and John, and she says, you know what, they've taken the body of Jesus away. And, and Peter and John come running, they look in the tomb, and it says they understood. Maybe from, from their times walking with Jesus, they remember that Jesus said, on the third day I'm going to rise again. But they understood, and they take off running. And here's Mary, she doesn't get it. She's still stuck wondering what in the world happened. And she's in this moment of loss and confusion in John chapter 20, verse 10. Then the disciples, okay, Peter... And John went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. So if you remember, if you were here on Easter Sunday, we talked about this passage. We talked about this encounter. We talked about this first Easter Sunday and how Jesus went first to Mary because she was the one who needed him the most. And for the past five weeks, we've talked about her life and, and who she was and how she had followed Jesus and got the dust of rabbis, uh, the dust of rabbi Jesus all over her. And she's following Jesus. And this was a relationship that she had with him. And as we've traced it, we see that Jesus um, goes to Mary out of all the people that he could have gone to first. He goes to Mary first because she was the one who was most deeply in need of an encounter with the risen Lord. And we established that when Jesus calls her name, we need to be able to respond in faith. And so here we see uh, the story of Mary. But we get to this point in, in Mary's life. And, and as we've walked through the journey, as we finally reach, this is the, the last that we'll hear of Mary Magdalene in the Gospels. I want to highlight and just bring out three very important, uh, very important things that I think will tie up everything that we've been looking at together. Uh, and the first thing, the first thing that we, we look at is that it is right okay, to surrender our desires for the sake of the kingdom. It is right for us to surrender our desires for the sake of the kingdom. Remember everything that Mary Magdalene has been through. 
Her life has just been radically and miraculously healed and fixed and, and repaired and restored and just sent forth by Jesus. And as she's walking with him through, she follows him closely. She serves him. She gives everything that she has in order to, to make Jesus known to other people. She gets in a group of fellow Jesus lovers, and she's just walking the way. And we get to this point, and she was there when everyone else left. She was there remaining at the cross. Uh, seeing her savior, the object of her undying affection and allegiance and loyalty. She sees him dying the most horrific death. And then she remains there when all of these people leave so that she, he could be brought down from the cross and placed into a tomb. And she's there. And when she goes to the tomb to, to check on him to make sure that everything's okay, she realizes the body is gone. And this is the, the, just the utter depth of darkness and confusion that anyone could experience. And this is where she's at. And, and as she's having these encounters, she doesn't know that Jesus is there. Jesus turns around. He says, Mary. And the first thing that she does is she dives on Jesus' feet. Matthew's gospel says that she clasped onto, grasped onto, clung to Jesus' feet. And here's what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, do not hold on to me. You see, when, when Mary, if you can put yourself into her emotional state, and she sees Jesus the first thing that she wants to do, the first thing that we probably want to do in moments of confusion and chaos and pain and, and darkness is we just want things to be the way that they used to be, right? And we lose somebody, somebody that we knew, somebody that we, whether you, you, you're in a relationship, you break up with them. And the next day, you just want things to be the way that they used to be, don't you? Or you lose somebody, someone passes away, someone who is close to your heart. And as you think about them and the memories you think about, we, it's not often, it's a jump to get to, we, we think about being in eternity with them because we just want, for, for some reason, for, some, for at least for a moment, I just wish that I was back in the way that it used to be. Where we were together thinking about familiar moments. Because in that moment of chaos, in that moment of darkness, in that moment where our minds are, are going a million miles an hour and we see this person, the only thing Mary wanted was, Jesus, I just want things to be the way that they used to be. And so she clings on to this Jesus and he says, do not hold on to me. Because she, he's saying, look, Mary, you want things to be like they were three days ago, four days ago, 10, uh, 10 days ago, 10 weeks ago, but they're completely different. Everything is different now. Everything's different and you need to, you need to let go. Because I need to go back to the Father, and I'll send forth the Spirit, and the work of God is going to be done, and the kingdom is going to go forth, Mary. You've got to understand. You need to let go. You cannot hold on to me. And for the sake of the kingdom, she, begins, she, she lets go. This kind of hits home to me because uh, a lot of times when I, I, I'm going out in the morning or going out in the afternoon... Uh, and it's time for me to, to go, uh, especially after, you know, if I've got a lunch meeting, sometimes I'll, I'll be, uh, be hanging out with, with Manny and hanging out with Olive, and, and I'll be playing with, with Manny or doing something and say, okay, Manny, I've got to go. I, I need to go. Um, I need to go. And I don't say, it's e easy for me to say I'm going to church, but an older pastor friend of mine said to me, you know, I, uh, I know a lot of people, um, PKs, who grow up uh, resenting church because dad's always leaving to go to church. And so he says, you should tell them, instead of saying, I'm going to church, tell them exactly what you're doing. So I say, Manny, I'm going to have a, a meeting with, uh, with, with, with Alex, or, hey, I'm going to eat lunch with, uh, with Joey, or whatever it might be. I've got a meeting at church with our staff. Um, and just tell her exactly what I'm doing. And she used, to, she used to do what Mary's doing. She used to cling onto my leg and say, no, Daddy, don't go. When she says in Korean, I think that, yeah, that means, Dad, don't go. And she would hold onto my leg. 
And sometimes, you know, in, in moments where I don't think she really wants me to stay, but she just wants me to give her something. So she, like, starts crying, and she's like, Dad, don't go. And I'll say, I'll say Manny, and I'll, I'll, I'll reason with her, and I think she's old enough to do this. I say, uh, Manny, Daddy has to go and, and talk to someone about Jesus. They need, they need Jesus. And she'll say, okay, and then she'll let me go. And recently, like, things have been getting better and better where she's increasingly willing to let me go. So there was one time, um, this was, like, a, a few weeks ago, um, where I said, uh, she was eating, and I said, Manny, Daddy's, Dad's got to go to work now. Dad's got to go meet somebody at, at church. And she said, okay. Uh, this is what she said in Korean. She said, Appa, il chokum hago tashi wa. <laughs> she means, Dad, go do a little bit of work and then come back home. I said, okay, thank you for your permission. I'm going to go now. And I, and I walked out. And, and I think it was like two weeks ago. I was, this, is, this is how much she's progressing. She was lying in bed. I had to leave early in the morning. So I wanted to, to go out and, and, and see her before I left. And and so she's just waking up, and I said, Manny, uh, Daddy's got to go. I have an early morning uh, meeting, and I need to go do some work. And so she's like groggy, and she's like, okay, Dad, go brush your teeth, and then you can leave. And so I said, thank you uh, for telling me that. I wouldn't leave home without brushing. So, uh, I, I, and I left. And I think she's beginning to realize that, yeah, there are desires that she has. There are desires that she has, but she needs to be willing to let go of these in order for the for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom to go forth. And here's a great thing. Mary, this is her one desire. I just want to cling to Jesus. Jesus says, Mary, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet returned to the Father. And so she lets go. And the moment she lets go, at the moment of her surrender, is the moment that Jesus gives her a new appointment for the kingdom of God. He says, look, do not hold on to me. I'm not yet returned. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and, and your God. As we let go of our desires, and here it's a beautiful thing that happens. We let go of our desires and God begins to open up opportunities for us to live and to serve in the kingdom of God. I think a lot of times on the flip side of that, when we're holding on to our desires, it severely limits our ability to be used for the kingdom of God. I think we have to understand this. We've got to understand that a lot of times, for, I think for us men, we have to really like man up in a lot of ways. I, I post an article, from, I think it was from CNN, on my Facebook page, and about 21 people shared this with other people because I think it's very poignant. It says the, the industries of video gaming and pornography are crippling a generation of men. Right, they're utterly crippling a generation of men. Like, boys are not growing up. They're living 25 years old, 30 years old, 35 years old, still playing video games and looking at things that they ought not be looking at. It's destroying their ability to have relationships, to have intimate relationships, and it's killing a generation of people and the generation that's going to come as well. And I know, you know, people, oh, yeah, you know, you're, you can make generalizations about any of that stuff. I, I, yeah, you can. You're right. But I think the moment we begin to get defensive about things like this, the moment we have to begin to, to ask ourselves, are our desires getting in the way of us living for the sake of the kingdom of God? It's when we escape into our desires are typically an escape into a, a fantasy kind of world. And for guys, this is what it is. For ladies, it's something different. Maybe it's your romance novels. Maybe it's your whatever TV shows you watch. But you're, it's an escapism, and we're feeding these desires, and that's keeping us from really being used fully and maximizing our potential for the kingdom of God. See, uh, unless we surrender our desires, it will severely limit our effectiveness for the kingdom. 
me tell you a little bit something about desires. I have, um, I think it was either last year, two years ago for Thanksgiving, I was home in Virginia with my brother's family. And I spent a few days up in Virginia, and my best friend has two twins. And they were at the time, I think they're about four years old, uh, Jackson and Owen. And they came to my, my, my brother's house. We were, we're all hanging out. And Jackson and Owen really excited. They got into the house and they said, Uncle Larry, that's what they call me, Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry, uh, we're going to stay up until midnight. They talk because so it's interesting, their accent, because he is from the hood. He's from like Prince George County in Maryland, which is like ghetto. And she is Yale graduated. So it's got this weird mix of of like this proper and ghetto. And so um, they're talking there, Uncle, we're going to stay up until midnight. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's great. And I was really excited for them. I was like, as I said to Sam, I was like, what's the big deal? And he's like, I have no idea. I don't know why. They all, like, for the last, like, month, they've been saying, we just want to stay up until midnight. And so he's telling them, you know, there's no big deal. It's just midnight. That's it. It's just a, it's just a number. They're like, no, we're going to stay up. And so they got their, they had their shoots and ladders, like, um, uh, um, uh, what are those guys? Spider-Man and these guys. Uh, what are these called? Superheroes. It was a superhero version of, of shoots and ladders that they had. They had their like toys, cards, DVD, uh, DVDs and stuff like that, ready to stay up until midnight. And they're really excited. Got to 10 o'clock and their eyes are getting heavy and Jackson wants to throw in the towel. And I was like, no, we can't. We've been waiting all this time for this. We can't. We got to do it just a little bit. Just push on a little bit more. And so they're staying up and they're, I mean, they're, they're like completely dying. Four years old. Finally gets to midnight. One of them has conked out, but, but the other one, I, don't, I forget which is which, they're, they're twins. We start shaking him, and he's like, wake up, it's midnight, it's midnight. And they look at the clock, and they're like, yeah, it's midnight, and they're so excited. And then they just kind of stop for a second, and they look at each other, and they're like, now what? And so Sam, their dad, is really, he's, he's upset with them. He's like, man, I told you, he, he's the ghetto. He's like, I told you, nothing, what would you expect, fireworks? Or what would you expect was going to happen at midnight? It just turns 12 o'clock, and that's it. Hopefully, you're a little bit disappointed with that story. Because it just kind of like ends flat, doesn't it? So what's the punchline? Here's the punchline. That's the nature of our desires. Whether they're good desires or bad desires, they always end up disappointing us. They always end up falling flat. And the troubling thing about our desires is that unless we surrender them, it will severely limit our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. We've got to be able to let go of these things, y'all. So many of us are are just living, clenching on to our desires, holding on to grasping after these things. And once we have them, once these desires are met, we're just like, okay, that's it. Like I need something else. That's it. And all the while, God is, is waiting for all of these opportunities. I mean, this is the amazing thing to be able to go and to tell for the first time. When, when it was announced that Jesus, that God is coming down, it was announced by angels. Like angels had that opportunity. Angels had that beautiful privilege to, to announce that to the world. And here to announce that Jesus is ascending, it was given to this one simple woman who is willing to subjugate her desires for the sake of the kingdom of God. What potential. Like we are pregnant with opportunities if we would be willing to do this, if we'd be willing to surrender it to the Lord. We'd be willing to surrender our desires and our longings and our wishes and our dreams for the sake of the kingdom. Right, what, we, like, we make so many excuses. When did it ever become like, I'm doing God a favor by serving him? 
When did it become like we're doing God a favor for, for letting him use us to, to accomplish these earth shattering and eternity changing things? When did that become like us doing a favor? We make all these excuses for why we shouldn't serve God and why we can't serve God. All the while we're like spending hours behind this screen doing all of whatever it is that we're doing and, and God's got work to do and he's like, let's go, let's move on with this. And, and, and we're, we're, we're just trapped by these desires. Whether, again, whether they're good desires or bad desires, unless we surrender them to the Lord, we're, we're, we're hindering the effectiveness in our kingdom call in our lives. And Jesus is saying, will you surrender these things? Don't hold on to me for I've not yet returned, but go, go. And he calls us to go forth. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing that we see here in, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 17 is when the message burns in the messenger, it will also burn in the hearers. Get this, when the message burns within the messenger, it will burn within the hearers. Jesus says, don't hold on. And then the second thing, he says, go instead and, uh, to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Let me, let me try and, I'm not going to be able to, to unpack all of this stuff, but let me just take one of, these, one of these phrases here and just open it up a little bit. As Mary has been walking on the journey with Jesus, she has heard countless times, if you just do it through the, the beauty of the internet, you can do this, go to Bible Gateway or some Bible, Bible software, Bible internet page, and type in, in quotes, my father, and then you get all these hits, and then look at it, just what it says in the Gospels, and you'll see just a list of times in which Jesus says, in, in discourse, as he's talking with someone, as he's explaining, as he's teaching, he talks about my father referring to God. And some of the things that he says in relation to my father, he talks about how when Lazarus is about to rise from the dead, he says, I praise you, my father, that you have heard me. And then he calls Lazarus to come out of the tomb. He calls the, the place of worship. He says, this is my father's house. On, on the cross, as he's, about to, as he's about to die, he says, don't you know that I could call my father in heaven and he would bring legions of angels to come and to wipe out all you, all you bad people, right? Don't you know that I could do that? And as Mary's hearing this, she's, I mean, there, there's probably a part in her that's saying, this is what it means to have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God as father. And how people must have longed for that, to, to long to have that kind of an intimacy where you just call on the name of God and these things are at your disposal. And bam, all of these things, miracles happening and, and Jesus performing all of these great things to, for the healing of, of, of individuals and for, the, for the, uh, just the, the alleviation of pain all around. And she's seen this and for this, this one moment, he says, go instead and, and to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father. And now all of a sudden, for the very first time, saying my father has become your father. Can you understand the, the, just the, the ramifications of this? I mean, this is huge, huge, huge news. Um, last week, last week when uh, we had just given, Olivia had just given birth to, uh, to our son, Elijah, we were hanging out in, in the hospital room for a couple of days and, and because of, you know, all babies are just completely helpless. And so every, every uh, 12 hour shift, there were three people designated to our family. There was one, um, a baby nurse, there was Olivia's nurse, and then there was a person called a tech, and she would come and do all of the, you know, plug-in things and, and bring water to, to Olive and, 
you know, massage her legs if she needed or all of these different things. And, and so every, for 12-hour shifts, there were all these people completely dedicated to her. And they would knock on the door and they would, they would say, hey, is it okay if we come in? And we'd, we'd tell them it's okay. And in addition to these people, almost like every 30 minutes, every hour, somebody was coming in. There was someone who was coming in. They were like, oh, we're the birth certificate people. We want to tell you how to get a birth certificate. Can I come in? And they sure, come on in and talk to them. And, and they would leave. And, 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 you know, three times a day, Olive could order room service. And so they would knock on the door and say, hey, room service, okay, if we come in. We're like, yeah, 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 come on in. You can give us our food. That's great. And, and you can, you know, take this stuff in. You can head out. And then there was people who was like, it's a hospital, but they take out our trash. It's like we're staying in a hotel. And so um, they would come in and they would say, um, housekeeping, can we, can we clean up? And if, if Olive is not ready for them to come in, we'll say, oh, can you, can you please hold on and, or come back five minutes later? There's this one lady. She was from a department called Audiology. Um, it sounds very odd, but it deals with baby's hearing. And so every time she came in, she would say, audiology, and we'd say, come in, and she would walk in the door and say, is it okay if I check baby's hearing? And I'd look at Olive, and she'd say, no, not right now. And so <laughs> I felt bad, but four times she had to go out. Uh, she came in, and then the one time she came in to actually check his hearing, he was crying so much that she couldn't, she's like, I can't get a good read. And so five times she had to keep on coming back and forth. And and then we had uh, our, our guests coming, people who came to, to visit Olive and, and, and Elijah and came to, to check on them and see how they're doing. And, and so it was, it was constant stream of, of, of guests coming. But uh, they would knock on the door. We would, we would open up and, and, and they would say, is it okay if we come in? And, and on several occasions, we had to have people wait outside um, because Olivia was either not ready to see them or because um, Elijah was feeding or whatever the case might be. And we had to ask some people, can you can you? not come today, maybe tomorrow might be a better day. And so that's kind of the routine that we got used to is every 30 minutes, every hour, every hour and a half, someone would knock on the door and then we would say, yeah, come in. And they would open the door and they would sh- show who they were. And then I would look at Olive and, and Elijah and say, is it okay? And they would say either yes or no. And so we're sitting there and, and one, at just one point, uh, we're trying to get some rest Elijah was sleeping in his little thing. Olive was sleeping. And I was just kind of going in and out on, on this little sofa there. And I hear the door open up, and it just busts open, and the door bangs against the door. And my initial, in, my initial reaction is, what in the world kind of rudeness is this? Like, I was really upset. I was like, don't you know you're supposed to knock and then peek your head in and ask if it's okay to come in? And as I walk over to see who it is, I... I see this little creature. She looks exactly like me, and she's got this huge smile on her face. And she's barely struggling to carry in this. It's a, it's a boppy. It's like this a semicircle pillow that uh, her mommy Olivia needed. And she's struggling to bring this in, but she's got the biggest smile on her face. And I look at her with just complete joy, and I say, you're the only person in this world who's able to do that. <laughs> because you are our child. And as Mary saw the audacity and the boldness of Jesus Christ to go and to ask of the Father God things that nobody else in this planet could ask for. And to see these miracles just come down like pennies from heaven. All of these amazing things happening. And now all of a sudden Jesus is saying, my Father is your Father. Her heart just begins to, and she takes all, she go instead and tell them, I'm returning. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And as you, as, as I see this, as I read this, it's almost like I'm seeing this cartoon. You know those cartoons where like the roadrunner is about to take off and they like start spinning their feet and smoke comes up and then bam, they're out of the picture. That's kind of how I see Mary Magdalene here. 
It's like she's so excited to tell the message, so excited to tell this news that is burning within her that she goes and she can't help but to run and to go and tell other people this, this message. That the Father, is, that Jesus' Father is now our Father and that we can burst into the place where before only Jesus Christ could go. Let me ask, does this message of the gospel burn within your heart? Does that burn within our hearts? Spurgeon used to say, you know, you know, people would ask him, how do, you, how do you go and how do you draw such great crowds? And he says, here's the best way. You want to you attract a crowd? Take some kerosene or take some gasoline, pour it on yourself, light a match, set yourself on fire, and the world will come and watch a man burn. I tell our, our teachers, our, our teachers this all the time. I say a message born in your head is going to reach your student's head, but a message that's birthed in your heart is going to reach their heart. Does a message of Christ burn within you? Because a burning heart will beget a burning heart. This is an amazing... You ever... Martin Luther King Jr., you hear his I Have a Dream speech. Why is it that 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 moves us so much? I... Talked about this before, but but people who dissect speeches talk about this all the time, right? Before he before he gets into it, he you know it's it's a speech, right? He's given this speech, and people are like, yeah, you know that's good stuff. But there's a certain point in time where he, and you could see this if you ever watch a video of it, where he stops looking at his notes and he just moves off script and he just speaks from the heart. He starts quoting the prophet Amos. He starts talking about justice and righteousness flowing like rivers. And and at that point, you see the the crowd just begin to hoot and holler. And they're like, yeah, go get him. Preach. Say something. And he's going for it. And at that point, people are just beginning to burn because the heart of a burning man will set fire to a heart of a person that's listening to the message. Because a burning heart in the messenger always leads to a burning heart within the hearers. And she was captivated by this. She was captured by it. And she went and she shared with other people this message with an exclamation point of the fact that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is alive. That's the second thing. The last thing then, the last thing that we see is we can't ignore, we can't neglect those who have fallen in the journey. We can't neglect those who have fallen in the journey. It's the very people that Mary would go to, the disciples. These are the ones who were fallen aside on the side of the road in the journey because they didn't follow Christ and they were filled with all kinds. You look at Peter's account in the next chapter. He's broken completely and utterly broken over his failure. That's the colossal sense of shame and guilt and failure that I blew it in the moment of greatest need. I failed him three times. And at the cross, he wasn't there. As we think about people who've fallen in the journey, the call that we see in Mary's life is that we cannot ignore or neglect these people. Think, okay, think about our congregation a year ago and the people who are sitting next to you who aren't here anymore. Uh, what do we do with people like that? What do we do? 
with folks like that when we see them at work, we see them at school, we see them when they do come to church once in a while, we see them at the mall, we see them at, at, the, at the Oriental Market, wherever it is. We're like, oh, you know, long time no see. What, what do we do with them? I had a kind of a, a little bit of difficult time trying to think about how to illustrate this point. I was praying about this yesterday, and so God um, gave me this great revelation. I was driving home from church, and my car broke down. <laughs> car broke down right out here, uh, a little bit outside of church. And so um, I, I talked to a couple people and just explained the situation. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a battery, it wasn't a starter, it wasn't an alternate, it wasn't something that could be jump-started, so we had, we had to get it towed. And so a uh, towing company's coming. This is going to be about 45 minutes. I said, this is perfect. You know, this week has been really uh, kind of wild and, and crazy, and so um, I think God is drawing me into this period where I can just be alone with him. So I, I put down, I didn't want to see anybody, um, especially people coming in and out of church. So I put the seat all the way down. I was good. I was driving my, my dad's uh, father-in-law's minivan. So I put the seat all the way down, had my Bible out, played some music. I was just talking to Jesus and, and, and reading the word and, and just having my own revival in my heart and just loving life. They called back 40 minutes later and they said, you know what? A towing company is not able to do it. Um, they've got a car down and Memorial Day, nobody's working. And so we're calling another, another company out. Probably be within the hour they'll come. I said, okay, you know, this is cool. I'm going to do a little bit of a psychology experiment here. And so I said, I, I, pull, I pulled my seat back up. It was about 7.30, and it was still bright out. Um, SNF was going on, and, and Korean congregation is about to have a revival. So a lot of cars are coming in. So I said, I'm going to see. I'm going to see how many people stop, and what is their reaction as they see my car on the side of the road. Okay? So I'm doing this, and there was, there's several different kinds of categories of people. There were some um, who saw the car you couldn't miss it the two-lane road and they just kept on driving right this is like 30 mile an hour road okay they drove on by all right that's cool there were some people who like i some of them i knew some of them i didn't know who who uh, slowed down like they looked at what was going on made sure that nothing was crazy there was nothing like cool to take pictures of and then they they, they drove by a lot of them would, would do that they slow down and then they they go on by other people would uh, roll down their window um, they say, hey, uh, you need any help? Is there anything we can do? And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm cool. I'm cool. Everything's all right. Just go. I'm just waiting for a tow. And, and they would go on by. There are other people who would, who would stop. And they, um, a, a couple people, actually, yeah, several cars. Some of them I knew. Again, some of them I didn't. Just pulled out. And um, one of them, uh, Ch- Chase Lee, Chinji's dad, he just thought, he stopped. And he, we would talk about everything but the car. He's like, <laughs> uh, so Pastor DL, uh, <laughs> about... You know, something other, and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, that's cool, and we're talking about, I, forget, I don't even remember, I'm trying to think what we're talking about. Um, the kingdom keepers, fifth graders, when do they go off to harvest? And I was like, yeah, they come in, in August. I'm like, oh, did anyone talk to you about it? <laughs> it was really funny. And there other people who would stop, and they would actually talk about, the, like, uh, Paul and, and Goonie's dad stopped, and he actually called up a shop that we, we ended up towing the car to. And, and there was other people who would go, and they would stop, and they would talk to us, and then they would go, and they would call other people, uh, call someone. Actually, yeah, um, Yeti and Yesung's dad, Elder Han, is the one who sent uh, Paul and Goonie's dad over to where I was, and he was able to, to fix it. But there's a bunch of different people who react in different ways to a car that's stranded, that's fallen, that's broken on the side of the road in a journey. Let me ask you, what do you do? What would you do in that situation if that was somebody that you knew on the side of the road? <laughs> Maybe more importantly, what do you do? What do you do with those friends? What do you do with those friends? 
who are fallen on the side of the road on the spiritual journey. Some of us, when we see them, we just kind of look their way and then we turn the other way and we go on because we've got ministry to do. That's kind of like the religious people in the Good Samaritan story, isn't it? They said, yeah, you know what? This guy needs my help, but uh, I got other things to do. And we walk by ministry on the way to ministry. There's others who just kind of stop, glance, and, and look over and say, you all right? You all right? Yeah, that's cool. And then we just kind of walk on by. There's others who stop and will stay with them until help comes. There's others who, who will stay there and they'll help them get back on their feet. Others who will go and they will lead them to somebody who can help them get the help that they need. But the bottom line is we cannot ignore and we cannot neglect those who've fallen on the side of the road in the journey. We can't. And one of our, our brothers was talking earlier this week about um, how he's got a friend. They, they grew up in church together and his heart is just going out for him. Like, man, I need to, I need to reach out to him. I need to reach out to him. I don't know where he's at in his walk with the Lord. I don't know where he is. I think about the guys that I used to, that grew up in, in church together. We had a group of guys um, a, a year above and a year below, three, uh, three graduating classes, and we used to get together all the time. We called ourselves the champions. We'd get in the summertime. We would, every day we'd get together. We'd do Bible study. We'd pray, and then we'd go play basketball. That's what we did every day. We did this together. And we'd turn on Keith Green music. We'd blast it out the windows in my minivan. Like, we are like cruising, right? Roll up to these basketball courts, ball these people up, and then we'd go. We'd have some of the best prayer meetings ever in our car, just on the way to play. Like, dude, I got, I got this, this, this burn in my heart. Let's pray. Let's pray about these things. And we'd just pray. And we would heat up the windows. They would get so foggy, we'd have to pull over on the side of the road. we were just praying, God. And out of this group of people, I was singing about them this week. One of them is a pastor, a guy named Mike. Another guy is a pastor, a guy named Silas. And a lot of these other guys, I don't know where they're at. I don't know where they're at. One of them is, 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 is Catholic, nominally, up in New York. And so re- this, this week, I've just been, been thinking a lot about them, praying for them, and just reaching out to them, sending them messages, saying, hey, man, thinking about you, wishing that we could, you know, we could, we could get together like we used to. But I can't, I can't neglect, as much as I... As much as I I need to move on to other things, I think to myself. As much as I've got ministry, I, I, I don't want to walk by ministry on the way to another ministry. You know what I'm saying? I can't. Like these, are, these, are, these are people that I walk with. These are people that, that you walked with, that you did life with. People that you cried together at retreats with. People that you prayed together with. And the message that... Did Mary have any idea that in going to these waylaid soldiers on the journey, that these people were going to go and they were going to set the world on fire? Did she have any idea that these people who were too chicken to be at the cross of Jesus Christ would give their lives for that same Savior? Did she have any idea? Man, we are on the other side of greatness right here. As we stand and as we wait, and God is potentially opening up all of these opportunities for us to share with people that we used to run with, former guys that we used to get in trouble with, or people that we used to do church with, or whoever that might be. And do you believe that God can use you in this way to bring your siblings, your brother, your sister, your parents to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to bring them back so that they could be used to transform the world? There are people that need to be like the burning bush 
It's burning bush didn't do anybody. All it did was burn. He caught a hold of one man who changed his generation for Jesus Christ. And do you believe do you believe that you could burn like this for the gospel and that you could be, give life people that you used to go on mission trips with? That as we begin to pray that their souls could be caught on fire so that they could be a light that shines for the nations. And this is our inheritance in Christ. He's saying, if you would let go, let go of the desire and let the gospel burn in you, this is you. You're not doing me a favor. I'm doing you a favor by letting you be used and be used for something that is eternally worthwhile. It is work to be done in the kingdom. Too much work for us to, to just hide behind our own selfish desires. But God's saying, go, go to those people. Go to them and let him use you to preach the message of grace that God and his grace are bigger than anything that you've ever done that disqualifies you from running the race. Get back in it. Get back in it. Let's go to the ends of the earth and see and see the nations bow before him because of our surrendered obedience. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to pray. How, how does this uh, speak into your situation today? Maybe there are people that you are thinking of right now. As I hear stories of people coming back, I can't help but think that a day is coming when young and old return to Jesus. When young and old will turn to Jesus, a time of jubilee is coming. Jesus promised that. Do we believe it? Do we believe in the coming kingdom of God and the power of the gospel so that we're not ashamed of it? Who are the people in our lives that God is calling us to, to pray for and to believe with a surrendered desire to him that God can use us for the kingdom? What does that mean for us to let the gospel sink in and soak in and burn a hold of our hearts? What desires are crippling our ministry before the Lord? What selfish desires, what good desires are keeping us from living for the sake of the kingdom? And do we believe that those desires will end up disappointing us and that the only thing that won't is to surrender ourselves for the sake of the kingdom? Let's pray to the Lord God. Let's pray. If, whatever that means. I mean, if you need to pray aloud, if you need to stand up and go into a corner, if you need to fall on your knees, I don't know what that, what that looks like. But let's just be honest here, guys. This is a... This is a, a, a sovereign moment. I believe God really wants to, to move and to shake some of us out of our complacency. To examine our hearts. Are my desires getting the way of me being used by God? And what does that next step look like? Let's come to the Lord, the Lord of all grace and mercy. And let's confess to the Lord. And let's ask the Lord Jesus, I want to be counted. I want to get in the game for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together for a few moments.
Father in heaven, the great men of faith used to say that the world has yet to see what God can do through one man, one woman who has completely and fully surrendered to you. Some of these people said, God, give me 10 men or women who will count the cost and stop at nothing and I will change the world. Father, help us to believe that this is true. God, help us to believe that this is possible and that you're not just looking for some elite group of people, but you're calling people like Mary Magdalene, broken, weary, but captured by grace to go and set these disciples on fire for the glory of God. Jesus, would you use us? Would you place within each of our hearts a call right now? and cause that to burn deeper and deeper and deeper. Help us to crucify our flesh for the sake of the crucified one. May we surrender our desires for the sake of the surrendered Savior who gave it all for us, that Jesus, you say it's never too late. It's never too late. So help us to surrender here and now and to not make any excuses, to not become slaves to our desires, but to rise up and to go where you call us to go for the glory of God, for the sake of the nations, and for the joy that will come and flood our hearts. We need you. We surrender to you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.